I would not be doing what I am doing without Leon Michaels in my life. Absolutely, 100% can tell you that now, hands down. Leon is really the master. He's a maverick. He just, and he's so chill. He's like one of the most fun people to work with in the studio because he just, he's always two steps ahead. Like he can hear things and I'm still stuck in the, oh no, I need to do it again. And he's like, no, it's done. From one of my favourite bands, Say She She, whose album Silver I strongly recommend. From New York City, this is Pia Malik. Yo, T-Bone, did you produce this? Sounds good, right? Once you record to tape and you get that warmth and you have that, like, vibration, it, it, it and look, we're all record collectors at the end of the day. That's, it's like, where the true friendship comes from. It's like the digging and the turning each other onto cool shit. Leon and I both geek out on a lot of Turkish funk, psych rock stuff and old Bollywood records. So that was like, you know, very much where that like exchange was born from is just the love of those records and that music. And um, and and then I remember him asking me because I was in another band that was on his label that broke up and I was kind of a bit sad. And he said, well, what do you want to do? And I just I really want to sing in Hindi. And he heard something on that project. He heard me singing in Hindi in a little snippet and he was like hang on a minute do that again and he heard that I was using a different voice that was much more my true voice of course when you're singing with other people in harmonies you're blending and you're you know you you're listening so you're com- we call it and say shishi like the fourth voice is when we're singing together it's its own thing and it's not each of our voice as it is when we're singing our solo thing, you kind of like, you, you find them blend with each other. It's natural, find the blend fast. It wasn't like we have to struggle to find that, but it's a different, you're channeling a different thing in voice or throat voice or chest voice. There's all different places that you can sing from. Like having your instrument in your body is kind of rad. The great thing is, is that my real relationship in my life is is really with Sabrina and Naya. <laughs> and it's always been like that, you know? And anyone who's around that and still wants to, you know, hang out with me, I think they've prob- it's probably for the best that they know all of these other things first. And you, you, it's like warts and all on the road, isn't it? There's no hiding. Wow. I mean, I didn't know. Cause I, there's a few things I didn't know. So actually, I didn't know. So I didn't know Bradford was part of your story. I never did a Nottingham until we met here. Was part of your story. Big part of my story. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was there for five years of my life. I absolutely loved it. I was at university there, and then I went on to work for Alan Simpson, who was the MP for Nottingham South. Back so you know Joe? Do you know Joe Simpson? His son. I know Joe. Yeah. Joe yeah. Old, Joe's an old, <laughs> old friend of mine. So I went to, went to college with Joe. I went to Glastonbury with Joe, like, in the 90s. Oh, I love that. Well, he was in the other office. He was in, actually in the Nottingham office. I worked in the Westminster office. And he was the first MP that I worked for. And, you know, and a good MP. kind of like... Like a, a proper he was good MP. Son, I mean, that's, that's why. He's a rebel backbencher. And he said all the things that I dreamed about saying. And, and I was so lucky. I worked in that office with Owen Jones. Just me and Owen Jones and Alan Simpson. And not a lot of people know that, but um, I was, who knew what Owen was going to go on to do, but I did know he was going to go on to do something brilliant because he was, but I I don't even know if people realise quite how funny he is because he's also very 
in the media, but he is one of the funniest people you will ever meet in your life. Possibly the funniest man I've ever met. <laughs> um, and just um, so lucky. What a what a spoiled, you know, little brat I was to be in an office, have him all to myself all day long, <laughs> ask him any questions I wanted. And I was a newbie and he really showed me the ropes in Parliament and introduced me to his very cool friends and um I just yeah I I treasure those days so greatly and he influenced my thinking in the way that I write and my politics in such a healthy wonderful way and I always knew that I wasn't you know I went I worked and then I went on to kind of defect from the Labour Party or um and work with the Cooperative Party and then defected to the Greens not that I ever voted Green because of where my constituency was but I cherished my time with working with Caroline Lucas she's just absolutely inspiring and I worked in the office with her until I left parliament um, to move to New York um, where I worked for the Institute for Children Poverty and Homelessness for a long time in that think tank and that's when I became friends with you know with Naya and then moved into the building with Sabrina we were always doing music on the side but we were friends for 10 years all doing different jobs and trying to do our music thing on the side and then one day the sky comes you know the forefront and it's just all you've ever dreamed about and we're so lucky because we now feel like we've got a better platform to kind of say the things that we want to talk about. My dad was a restaurateur before I was even born, so he went through quite a few different businesses and restaurants, which I love because he's always one of these people, you can't keep that man down. Doesn't matter if he lost, if he made it all a fortune he, and then maybe he'd lose it all. He kept trying. I've seen him, you know, lose everything and start again. And his, his goal is always really to make jobs, create jobs and employ people. And I loved that about him. And I think I share that, you know, responsibility. Sab and I always talk about this, like part of our goal is also to make sustainable jobs in the industry for people in the music business you know what if we can create a team of people that are working for a long period of time that's great you know growing up a restaurant brat is a very unique experience and um and i really am so drawn to kids when i find out that they <laughs> or pet, you know my friends who have restaurants i'm always like talking to their kids and giving them tips <laughs> You can't leave the restaurant alone. There was no such thing as going on holiday. Who's going to run the restaurant? There was no one you could trust to do it, you know, to the level. And when we did, there was always a disaster to come home to. No offense to all the lovely managers we ever had, but <laughs> in case they're listening, which they might be. <laughs> it's a family. It's an extended family. It's you get. It's just like a band, you know. I, I see the parallels all the time and how I'm able to, like, absorb all these extra people into my family in the way that my parents did and my godmother who ran the restaurant um so my dad had indian restaurants and my godmother ran the french restaurant and the bistro was where i really like started to learn french because we would translate between the kitchen staff who were you know polish or somewhat french-speaking francophone algerian moroccan in management in the front of the house a lot of french staff from the south of france and from paris so everybody was just like, you know, clamoring all over each other. And in the heyday, that restaurant base used to have like a lot of the footballers would come in, like Patrick Vieira and Robert Perez. And um, it was a North London spot, was it? It was a North London spot, yeah. Um, but then my dad's Indian restaurants, you know, they were there since from he lived in California, um, where we were born, and then we came when we were two. 
over to England and he had other Indian restaurants there too. So he just, yeah, it was just always growing up. It was a case of if you were naughty and as we grew up, we all had to work in the restaurant too to pull our weight. You know, there's no such thing as pocket money in our household without working. You know, you've got to learn the work. Yeah, and the fact, keep the family business going or whatever. Um, but also it was like, if you were naughty, it was like, do you want me to go tell chef? You know, am I going to get chef to talk to you? <laughs> it was like, no, don't do that. It's the sounds of the restaurant that carried me all those years. I absolutely just still, when I'm in the kitchen and when we're, even if we're doing catering or a pop-up or an event, or even if it's just kick, cooking for my big family, you know, and that is where I, it really started, is that I have this huge extended family who all grew up in London. There's nearly 21 young kids running around at any given family do, <laughs> you know, because my brother has, there's so many brothers and sisters and, and we all were in London. Eventually everybody all came down from Bradford and we were all in London and very close knit. It doesn't matter how big the family was, they never separated from each other and it passed down to our cousins. And, you know, we all have our little groups on WhatsApp now, we're still communicating, but the cooking was such an important part of our home and our household and our culture. And I think it's true for all immigrants, you know, you come to a place and how will people receive you and love you and accept you? Okay, we'll feed them. What do we have to offer? I think food is one of the greatest things that a all the Asian immigrants came and sort of did well, in a way. That was the other thing that sustained us, like doing the music, you know. At the, in the end, I had to leave the think tank because I wanted to focus more on the music. And then you need to do, find your, as they call it in New York, side hustles. <laughs> and everyone has about 10 side hustles to pay the rent. <laughs> so insane here. And my, you know, I started a catering business because it's like, well, what do I know? You go back to the thing I was a childhood and from your family. And and I was able to get my license pretty quickly and work with other people because I knew and understand, understood how to do it. So we started a catering business called Conjure Kitchen. And our first opening pop-up, it started just as pop-ups and we ended up doing more um, kind of larger scale events. But the... The initial one was opened at my friend's record shop that I helped him in the early days. I used to work there and cleaning all the records and um, down in Red Hook in Brooklyn. And um, it was a, a pop-up for 40 people. And I had my friend Idan, DJ. Um, and it was just like this magical soiree. And we did like a, you know, five-course Indian meal. And there wasn't a lot of, in there's hardly any Indian restaurants. And there's definitely none down in Red Hook in Brooklyn. So um, it was like a lot of people in the neighborhood who I was friends and close to had never eaten Indian food and I couldn't believe it. So I thought that's how it was born. I was like, right, I'm going to do a pop up. I you know, used to do them in London and helping my friends who ran them quite seriously. So I, I, I reckon I could throw, you know, throw my hand at this. But the restaurant is like the restaurant you are. Of course, there's orders being barked and you can't have uh, you can't be precious. And the politesse of English society goes out the window in an English restaurant, even, you know, like that's that's the other interesting thing. Like, um, I feel like um, there was always some sort of shouting coming from the kitchen and the, the punters and the client clientele would be like sort of half enjoying it. Like, you know, the thrill of a big fight happening from the chef that you could hear from behind the walls. <laughs> food tastes more exciting but we you know and I and when I'm head chef like I'm definitely when I'm 
you know, cooking I, my kitchen, small spaces usually. Yeah, you've got to be able to take orders or I will send you home. And I have had to send people home before. But it's just, but it's like, it's paralleled in the studio too. On Bollywood soundtracks, right? I got, I got into Bollywood soundtracks. So I think I got into it like a lot of us after watching Ghost World. I was like, oh, Jan Pechana is a banger. And I'll, I'm going to start digging for Bollywood records. And I'm going to find all the Bollywood bangers. Digging for Bollywood records is impossible, right? Because there's so many of them, and they're in such poor condition, I I don't know how to find the good stuff, other than on comps and stuff. So tell me how yeah. the secret for Go digging to come. come with me to Mumbai, and that I will is. take you to Record Haji. Yeah, that's a lot, honestly where, like, I've, I know podcasters can't see, but... Um, I don't know if you can see some of the records over there. That whole wall, and I've got another massive shelf on that side, but that whole wall is is all Bollywood stuff. And none of, none of it's, like, hugely rare or expensive. I, I went over with a couple of times with um, different friends, and we went and pulled a lot of stuff. And uh, with the record, Haji mainly, he's, he's the guy. Um, yeah, and he's Chor uh, Bazaar, which means Thieves Bazaar. Thieves Market. <laughs> so you've got to be careful there at night. It's a pretty scary place. I love all the dancing, like any of the stuff in the 70s. Like Helen, she's an incredible dancer. So anything she's in, I'm usually like pretty stoked. But also like, um, I just speaking of that, like the, the remakes, like the kind of, Hollywood ripoffs, as it were. That I just remember because that was where we would watch movies endlessly. It was all summer long. I would go every summer to India to stay with my grandparents and my mum's brother, um, and so it's like six weeks every year, whatever. And my mum would just send us on the plane, even at five years, six years old. We would go as unaccompanied minors, and we used to get put in first class in those days when you're traveling alone at that age and get toys and everything. One day we turned 11 and we were like, this sucks, we're an economy. Oh no, we have to like line up like talking people. <laughs> um, but yeah, they stopped doing that now. I don't think they let you travel on a company. But um, yeah, she, she couldn't afford to come as well. So but she wanted us to connect with that. And we would watch old Bollywood movies with my grandma for hours and hours. And I remember watching Kalnayaka and thinking, wow, they don't make movies like this outside of India. <laughs> and of course, it's the hand that rocks the cradle and it's just a rip off. So, so, Hand the Rocks the Cradle is a rip-off of a Bollywood film. No, no, the other, way, the other way around. around. The other way around. But I watched it first, so it took me a minute to realise that. Right. I mean, that, <laughs> is a, that is a strange film to rip off in a Bollywood style, I feel like. You should watch it, though. It's pretty good. <laughs> Thanks to Pia for speaking with me. Seishishi's album Silver is out now. They're also on tour in the UK in March. If you get the Coco show in London, I'll be there. Say hello. A couple of other bits from me. I've got a new series that I've been sound designing that is out now on the Stack Network. It's called Ghost in the Machine. It's a story of a young athlete who 
gain notoriety after being caught with a motor hidden inside her spare bike. The first known case of what is called motor doping in cycling, and it is a fascinating story that involves pigeons, stolen canaries, and much, much more. You don't need to be a cycling fan to enjoy it. So that's Ghost in the Machine, and it is available wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes every Monday. And of course, there's also the Sounds Good Right merch. If where you are is anything like where I am, you need all the clothes you can get. So, you know, why not get a massive Sounds Good Right hoodie to keep you warm? Anyways, thanks for listening. This episode was produced, recorded, sound designed by me, Tom Wally. And I'll see you soon. Yo, Chibo, did you produce this? Sounds good, right?